You're listening to the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This week we are discussing Season 3, Episode 10, Misa, written by David Benioff, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, directed by David Nutter, as well as the entirety of Season 3. All right, fuck it. Real talk. Down I needed to do this song. Yeah, I'm a nerd. Big secret, but I'm a nerd, and I love these books. If you watch it on HBO and think you know what's going on, I appreciate that. The people who waited five years for dance, this one's for you. Check it. Yo. On the real, your boy is a hip-hop player, but for this joint here, I'll play the role of King Slayer. See, toe-to-toe, blow for blow, we can fight, G. But word to Jamie, they don't know other men like me. This industry is in a roughed-up state. Cats front so tough, you call the bluff, they fake. And we all know it, too, we just love to pretend. Use my tongue as a sword, slice them with a pointy end. And friends can turn to enemies in an odd link. My click together firm like a master's chain link. We got skills, and yes, we're so ill. Our brotherhood was born. Hello and welcome to the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kalzik, TV editor for Sound On Sight, and I'm joined as ever by Ricky D, general editor. General editor. Hello, Kate. And this week uh, we have it's it's a it's a four person conversation of awesome because joining us is my co- cohort from the Televerse Simon Howell from Sound On Sight as well as Kate Renabaum also from Sound On Sight as well as many other illustrious places. Welcome to the show, guys. You know that no one get I mean like two percent of the audience gets the general editor joke, right? I I don't care because you know even though How I Met Your Mother has become what it has become, it still has a place in my heart. That joke. Actually, Simon asked Kate to explain it back on episode two, so any longtime listeners of our podcast understand. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so, now, as we always say at the beginning of, of these podcasts, uh, we will not spoil anything from book the books that has not happened on the show. We will only talk about book things if they have already been depicted. Uh, we as we have a mixture here because I have read the books and Ricky, you have not. Simon, in case people do not remember, why don't you refresh our listeners? Have you have you read the books? No, I don't read. <laughs> and Kate, I have not read the books. So we are mostly not booking book reading audience. There's been a lot of talk about season three and book three by extension or vice versa, however you want to put it, as as a highlight of the series or as something that both the, the fans but also the creators were really looking forward to, to getting to. Like season one and two will be fun, but we can't wait till season three. With all of that hype, especially as as not book readers not knowing what was going to happen this this season, and especially for this week in this finale, how did this episode work for you guys as a finale, as a sort of reaction to the craziness of the Red Wedding and everything that happened last week, and then also, you know, as a whole season, has it lived up to these expectations that you may have uh, been left with? Ooh, can I go? (laughs) I think I know your answer. Um, kinda is my answer. I feel like the two very clear high points of the season, one of them is very obvious. It's the Red Wedding. We got to it last week. I wasn't on the show. It was awesome. I don't. We don't need to talk about that anymore. The other uh, subtler one that I think was 
probably just as good and just as important is basically everything we've gotten with Jamie and Brienne. I think that was pretty clearly the emotional heart of the season. I think they really nailed it. Everything else was kind of business as usual, to be honest. And it's not necessarily bad, and it remains a very entertaining show, and I think this was probably, on the whole, about on par with season one, and I think a little better than season two. But for all the hype, I assume that some of the stuff that people are hyped up about, we still haven't gotten to yet, and people didn't really have any way of knowing that. Maybe that's a factor, but... Uh, it, it, it it didn't it, it wasn't the huge leagues above the the previous that i wasn't expect that i was expecting or was maybe told to expect i kind of agree with simon generally that season 3 is up there with season 1 and they're both a little bit better than season 2 um i don't know i yeah i agree that this uh particular episode was you know kind of not a, i guess a little bit of a letdown after uh the red wedding and we can get into the specifics of why i think later generally if we're talking about the whole season in terms of expectations um i don't know i wasn't paying as much attention to all the hype around it so i don't think i was quite so concerned with whether or not it would live up to expectations um i i generally enjoyed it i think that i would add maybe a couple things to the uh Jamie Brienne and Red Wedding as the two tentpoles. I would add the Tyrion Sansa stuff, I think, has been quite good. Uh, it's been really an enjoyment for me, particularly. And in the first half of the season, I don't know, I wasn't enjoying the Jon Snow, Egret stuff. I thought that stuff was, was really fun as well. So those were, for me, the high points of the season. But yeah, otherwise, I pretty much agree with what Simon was saying. Ricky, how about you? Yeah, I don't know. I was kind of let down. I'm thinking back to season one and season two. Now, season one, episode nine was epic. You know, Ned got his head ch- chopped off. It was great. Spoilers. <laughs> Season two, episode nine, Blackwater. You know, not one of my favorite episodes, but it was big. It was epic. It had one of the biggest set pieces. Um, so that was cool. Season three, The Red Wedding, maybe the one of the best episodes yet. Fantastic. Like a game changer. Everybody was talking about it. It's one of the most devastating episodes ever in the history of television. But the difference between season three, season one, and season two is the 10th episode in season one and season two was far better than the 10th episode of season three. I think overall season three is by far the best season. But I don't know. I mean, basically, what do we get? It was very uninventful. They reshuffled the deck. It offers a deeper glimpse into the power dynamics between whoever's left alive. But I guess it's the formula, right, for Game of Thrones. Like episode nine is the biggest the big episode in episode 10 sets up the next season, but I'm focused on the episode in the now and in the now it was sort of disappointing. Like we had a huge game of Thrones party. A bunch of people came over, you know, opened up a few bottles of wine, uh, sat down. Uh, my brother has a, a huge, like uh, it's not even a, 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 it's not even a TV. It's like a projector. So he, you know, it's like going to the movie theater. So we watched it. A bunch of diehard Game of Thrones fans. A lot of people have read the books. And when the episode ended, everybody was like, that's it. That's all we get. We have to wait a whole year. And so I think, you know, the thing about Game of Thrones is every single episode is still is still well acted, well directed, well written. You know, give props to the cinematographer. It looked beautiful. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I think it was a great episode. I think in terms of like when when you compare it to every episode so far in season three, I don't think it's the worst, but I think it's 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 the least memorable. So yeah, yeah, I think a lot of the underwhelming nature of this 
episode can be tied to an, a, a couple things. And the first of which is that it's a finale. If this were not the finale, but if there were 12 episodes, I think it would be just fine. But because we've come to expect certain things from our finales, not these huge set pieces, those have been reserved for the the ninth episode of each season. And I think that's actually worked very well for the writers in general. But from the 10th season, we expect to see the pieces uh, laid for the next season to see the ends of stories, the beginnings of new stories. And if, if not some huge spectacular moment, we've seen cliffhangers or at least the, the embarkation of new, new storylines or new journeys for our characters. And that doesn't really happen in this episode. And I think that ties to the decision to make, uh, take book three and put it into two seasons. So this really is, feels like, Part one, sort of like that uh, Battlestar and Doctor Who recently, season two, season 2.5. This feels like the first half, you know. So whereas each of the previous seasons have have left left off with these um, really interesting new ideas of where the characters are at the end of the season, which is drawn very much from George R. R. Martin wanting to end each book with people in an interesting place so that people will buy the next one um this you know where they chose to end the season i don't it, it's not if you know what's coming you can see why they ended it at each different place for these characters but if you haven't it just feels like it kind of ends and there's not really a meaning for that and that's a problem because you don't you can't make a book a, sh a show like this dependent on the viewers having read the book to have, feel a satisfaction in where the characters end at, at the end of a season. But but go back to season one. In the 10th episode, we were introduced to the dragons. In season two, the 10th episode, we, we saw the White Walkers. Season three, we don't get any new creatures, magical creatures, any new characters. We don't really get anything new. The biggest reveal is who you do but you don't know it yet <laughs> okay trouble. well but the thing is yeah. I, I i always had the perspective of, as, as a non-book reader and so that's the that's my point of view and that i'm watching this episode and i don't see it so that's a problem for me exactly. and the thing is exactly. the biggest reveal we get in this episode is who's torturing theon Greyjoy. and i didn't read the book but i already knew he was a bastard son so I was like, did I read this accidentally or was it because of all the hints we had, like a lot of the flags that we saw in previous episodes, but it was so obvious. And the Theon Greyjoy storyline is so incredibly frustrating. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's idiotic. Like it was so tasteless, the jokes and his, his character, like Ramsey's character is so cartoonish and over the top. And I just despise his character. I don't like the performance. I don't like necessarily watching Theon Greyjoy get repeatedly tortured. The whole sausage like joke was just tasteless. It was done in poor taste. I didn't necessarily enjoy watching that scene with my family and friends. I found it really uncomfortable and awkward and just totally out of place. We already know he's crazy, batshit crazy. We just don't need a scene like that with him eating a sausage while teasing Theon Greyjoy about cutting off his penis. Like, seriously, I thought that was childish. Like, it was juvenile. It did not belong in, an, in, in a series like Game of Thrones. And actually, you know what? Thinking back on it, just that scene alone, I would probably state that this is the worst episode of Game of Thrones yet. Just that, that one scene alone was so terrible that I would go so far as to say this is the worst episode of Game of Thrones yet. 
I, I was surprised that when they send his dick to his parents that there wasn't a prompt to put on your 3D glasses <laughs> and they picked it out of the box and wagged it at you. That's what I was expecting so they, from this plot So you line. agree with me. You're not a big fan of the Theon Greyjoy plotline. I I thought it sucked, yes. I mean, and I don't have Kate's perspective on where this is going, but I think in general there were a few characters whose screen time could have either been better used or just been excised or greatly condensed. Uh, you know, just for instance, thinking I mean, we didn't see a whole lot of Cersei this season, for instance, and that's because she had incredibly little to do. And I think we could have seen even less of her because as much as I like Lena Headey in the role, like what was her arc this season she didn't have one so you know we probably i, I it's, it's a double-edged sword because i probably would have complained if we hadn't seen her as much but at the same time i thought why did we spend any time with her at all i mean it was her and jamie's reunion at the end was nice in a creepy sort of way if you really thought about it but um you know just and and the, the, the fact that we spend i would guesstimate about 40 minutes on the theon plot line and that the big cliffhanger of that at the end turns out to be his sister who i forgot existed even though she's great uh is gonna come to the rescue like i don't care about theon well it's not just theon it's the Greyjoys. period because last week's episode focused mostly on starks this week's episode a big chunk of it focused on the lannisters we've never actually had an episode focused on the Greyjoys. you know like so who the fuck cares about the Greyjoys? but let me ask kate a question so this season, they extended each episode by five minutes, which basically gave us an extra episode. In this uh, episode, episode 10, I think they extended it by like 10 or 15 minutes, right? It was, it was 66 minutes so, long by my so, so here's the thing. So season three and four is basically book three. Okay, that's a good – I'm not complaining. I think that's a good choice because the book is so massive, and I think you need two seasons to properly adapt the book. But then why wouldn't they just end season three with the Red Wedding? Like yeah. because because the, they've already extended each episode five or ten minutes, so therefore it's like we we've had an additional episode. So like to me, this would have been a good season four starter. And I, I think I think they blew their load, and then they did not know what to do for the last episode of the season. And I think it's a major disappointment, especially coming off last week's episode, which you know everybody was talking about. I mean, everybody was talking about last week's episode right up until episode ten aired, and when episode ten aired, nobody was talking about Game of Thrones anymore because the episode was so unmemorable. So I was just incredibly let down. I think, in general, the having the big moment in episode nine, and then dealing with the fallout so that we can start fresh in the next season, uh, like to have some time, you know, ha have there have been time in between, you know, so, so that you can see those immediate reactions that you need to see after Ned gets his head cut off and after Blackwater, you so that, that you let that be part of that, uh, that previous season, then so you can start fresh in the next season. I think in general, that's worked really well, but because of the nature of the Red Wedding, I actually agree with you that maybe it would have functioned better to end the season because it is such a final moment. Really everything we got last week, we got, uh, I think the, the, the parting of Rickon and, and Bran would have been much more satisfying if that was, you know, as opposed to where we left Bran this time. I thought his scenes with Sam were really, were great and it was really fun to see them, but where we left that was more interesting there was more it was more um it felt like more of a finality you know had the moment had more finality and the thing is when you kill ned stark you need to see 
what happened immediately after because the rest of his family is in immediate peril. There's a lot that happens when you have the, you know, the giant, um, huge battle. You, you need to see if, find out if Tyrion is dead or not. There's certain things like that. When you kill off a, an entire storyline, you don't really need to see what happens immediately after because that the people most affected by that would basically would be Arya, who we already saw, Sansa, who's already married off to Tyrion, so we don't. There's no new information there, and everybody else it would affect is dead. Yeah, but um, I have, I I definitely agree with you on that one, Kate. I at first, Ricky, I kind of <clears throat> wasn't sure how I felt about that idea that they should have ended the season on the Red Wedding, but as I've thought about it more and more, I kind of completely agree. I think that it really would have been. I don't know, almost the funner way to end the season in a sick kind of way. But it was... Yes, fun. <laughs> oh, come on. Like, this episode was pretty twisted, too. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't. I don't know. I mean, I the, the thing about I I kind of disagree with you guys a little bit about the Theon Greyjoy plotline. I, I definitely tired of it in the last, this particular episode and the episode before it. But when they were kind of dragging it out endlessly and you were stuck watching Theon Greyjoy be tortured, I actually thought it was kind of an interesting experiment in that you... For most of season two, uh, I think other viewers, I know, I know myself, you were so um, excited about sort of cheering on bad things happening to Theon. Like you were like, how could he possibly do that to the Stark family? Oh my God, I hate this guy. Somebody should kill him. And then the show really makes you like feel the results of that for the whole third season. You really have to sit there and be like, this is what it's like to torture somebody. And I, I kind of think that it, I don't know. I don't think it's a mistake, Ricky, that you felt like that joke was so tasteless and awful. I think that that's, maybe the point is that it's supposed to feel really uncomfortable and really unpleasant to watch somebody have just been castrated and have somebody taunt them. Like, I, I think the show is successful in that way. I thought it was a perfect, I thought it was a perfect way for us to, I, I thought the scene was very childish and very tactless, but I think it, that was perfect for that character. See, I, I think that I, I see where you're coming from, Kate R, but, um, the, <laughs> I, uh, but I think the one of the problems for me is we already had a character this season whose perception we got to see radically altered and who we used to wish horrible things on, and then we see it happen, and then it's upsetting, and that was Jamie, and it was done much better. Yeah, because that character actually evolved. Like We don't really know anything about Ramsey, including his name, up until the final few... Um, well, not the final few minutes, but up until like the final episode of season three. So it just... I don't know. It just didn't work for me. But there's still a lot of things that I did like about this episode... Specifically, everything revolving around Tyrion and Tywin and even Joffrey. I love the way he just puts him in place and sends him to bed. Like, I thought that was brilliant. I think Peter Dinklage, Charles Dance, and Jack Leeson were, were just, you know, on the game. Like, they were just fantastic once again. I love watching those three actors, you know, face off against each other. I love watching them in the same room. Uh, I think uh, the acting, again, was brilliant uh, from just about everyone except for, you know, maybe anything revolving around the Greyjoys. But, I mean, everyone else in the cast, I think, was fantastic in this episode. I think the episode looked fantastic. It was, once again, directed by David Nutter, who directed last week's episode. So he returns once again to direct. I think he did a fantastic job. Um, I love, love, once again, Bran, because the thing is, he tells the story about the king that basically... Now, now, you guys are actually going to have to refresh my memory. He basically tells a story about the king who was cursed by the gods because he did harm to people under his roof after they broke the sacred oath of eating bread and, and uh, breaking salt, whatever, whatever the oath is, right? Which mm -hmm. basically goes back to Lord Frey. 
So we know something terrible is going to happen to Lord Frey next. Um, so that was really cool. I love, I love just, I love story time. Like, <laughs> well, it, it it could happen to Lord Frey, or it could, by extension, happen to the Lannisters, and that's left ambiguous, which I liked. The story was crazy on the nose, which should have bothered me, especially because since Bran doesn't know what's going on. But I'm good. To, I was just going to go with it because it was a really nicely executed sequence. Yeah, except but he's a ward, and so we don't know if it's just his intuition or if he's, you know, he's sensing what's going on around him and that's why I just you know he just automatically thought of it on the spot you know what i mean was i the only one who laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed when john said <laughs> i know you you won't hurt me egret <laughs> and she shot him three times yeah except i still have a problem with her dialogue like she's a fantastic actress but what was her response to john snow simon you know nothing, Jon Snow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Have you ever heard her real voice? No. She has an incredibly posh accent. Her family owns like three castles. Mm-hmm. And yet on the show, she dons this like gnarly, I don't know what it's supposed to be. And it's, I, I think she's fantastic. You're talking about Rose Leslie? Yeah. Wow, really? She comes from... Yeah, lo- go watch an interview sometime. Yeah, and also you got to remember that she clearly wasn't trying to harm him or like kill him because she like, if you think about her marksmanship, there's no way she would have missed three times from su- such a short distance. No, but she wanted to hurt him good. Though. Well, she, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she wanted to hurt him, but she didn't want to. Kill him. Well, I and really, he could really die of those she'd... wounds, especially alone in the North. So maybe that's a way to leave it up to the gods. Yeah, I, I, I just, I continued. I, I, somebody complained on my review that I, they thought I was giving John a hard time, and I was because I don't like him. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I hope that she manages to outlive him somehow, which seems unlikely. You don't like Jon Snow. I don't like Sansa. Like seriously, everyone has someone they don't like. Kate, uh, Kate R. Who don't you like? Oh, that's a good question. I've kind of been wanting to uh, get into this ongoing argument with Ricky about Sansa the whole season because I've been at home like shouting back at my podcast that I disagree with you. About <laughs> well, yeah, I, actually, Kate, everybody disagrees, and that's why I keep bringing it up because it gets people so angry. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just trying to get to get people riled up. I think. I th- but but who but who don't you like? Who don't I like? I think. Um, Sansa. I, don't know, I, feel almost, I feel almost guilty about it because he's such a like do-gooder character. But And this is part of the reason that I had kind of a real problem with the latter half of this uh, episode was that the Onion King or whatever his name is. Um, Davos, yeah. Davos, Liam I Cunningham. I just, I don't know, man. He's a nice guy and I, I'm happy that he's doing the right thing. And I feel like it's almost a failing on the part of the show that I've just completely lost interest in him. But I really didn't think that they handled the layout of this episode so well. And I really didn't like that so many of the characters we're really interested in, it was all jammed into the first half of the episode, and then the latter half of the episode, we keep returning to Davros and Gendry, and I just, I'm sorry, but, and I, I know it's in the books, but they've, we've just been in this position where Davros was pissing off Stannis by kind of doing the right thing, even when Stannis says, no, don't do the right thing. I was like, we've just seen this. This feels a bit repetitive, and so you get that as this kind of weird letdown, and then you get into the Misa scene, which I was really unimpressed with i don't, I don't know how about how people <laughs> felt about that but i was really unimpressed with it well hold on hold on i'm just gonna jump in here quickly because um <laughs> i was slapping davros davros is one of the all-time villains for doctor who and davos is the onion knight so the notion of 
of uh, Stannis and Davros having a conversation, or Davros and Melisandre is actually hilarious and awesome. <laughs> but it's da- just to preempt some emails. It's Davos, we know that's who she meant. <laughs> okay. But, but this made a good after school special because Davos taught us something really important. If you learn how to read, it can save your life. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, well, and Kate R., you mentioned repetition, and that was one of my issues with the episode, was even in bits that I liked, it was stuff that we'd seen before. Like that conversation between Tyrion and... and uh, Sorry, between Ty... I just merged their names. Between Tywin and Tyrion, uh, when when he asks Tywin if he ever sacrificed anything, and he says, well, I sacrificed when I let you live. And it was yet another, I'm reminding you that I hate you and you're an abomination conversation, which, which, which we've seen happen at least, I would say twice. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's always nice to see those actors uh, riff on each other. Cause they're both great. But it was like, I don't know that we really needed that. I, I have to bring up that scene because I have this theory and I haven't read the book. And, um, I think many people have the exact same theory, but, um, Tywin says something very interesting in that scene. He doesn't refer to him as his son. And I've always suspected, and I was talking about this with my friend Abel, that he's not really his son because Tyrion has nothing in common with the rest of the Lannisters. He's so incredibly different. And so... Very smart. Yeah. He's incredibly smart. He's actually kind. Um, I don't know. I just... I have a theory that it's not really his son because I would say the holy cows are the bastards. It's Jon Snow. It's they're, they're, they're usually called sacred cows. Sorry. Sacred cows. Right. Well, for... <laughs> yeah, but what about Danny. Sorry. What about Danny? She's not a bastard. Gendry, Jon Snow and Tyrion. They are the three people that can survive till the very end. Not even Danny. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, the book reader just nods in bemusement. You just—it's like I want to say something so much. Well, hold on but, a second. Wait, wait, hold but on I a won't. <laughs> well, it's something that I actually said earlier in the season on one of the podcasts. So if you're listening and and you're curious what my reaction is, go back and listen to one of the earlier podcasts, and you'll pick up something. You, you'll figure it out. Um, I I want to say episode like three or four from the season. Okay, but look, you've read the book. I haven't read the book, but I'm just saying it was incredibly suspect the way he told the story to Tyrion. The the, the wording is, I raised you as my own, which I found odd. Right, right, exactly. I thought of you, Ricky, as soon as that, while I was watching that scene, I was like, yep, we're going to be talking about this (laughs) and if he's a bastard or not on the podcast, definitely. Yeah, actually, I think we talked about it two episodes ago because I uh, had this like one one hour conversation with my friend Abel, who's a big, huge fan of the show, and he hasn't read the books either. And we just assumed that there's no way they are actually related. So, and, and the wording, you're right, Simon. There's just something odd about the wording. And again, speculation. I'm not spoiling anything. I don't know. I haven't read the book. I can't look into the future. But I'm just saying it was incredibly odd the way he worded it. Uh, can I mention, and I did like things about this episode. I'm going to sound incredibly negative. But uh, I, I didn't bring this up in my review, but it did occur to me later when I was reading other people's reactions. Kate R. brought up a moment ago the, the final sequence of the episode. The Misa sequence, which yeah. was problematic. Sir, um, sorry, you're, you're talking about the very last scene with Danny? Yeah. yeah. Okay, why was it problematic? Yeah. 
Well, she's the I whitest white person to ever be white. The the <laughs> whitest white person to ever be white is greeted by a massive throng of mostly colored folk. Uh, you know, greeting her as a liberator, calling her well, mother, but also Misa, which brought back horrible flashbacks of Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> so it wasn't so great. Even even on a story level, like not even to get into the problematics of that image of her as this liberator who, yeah, anyway, not even to get into that. <laughs> it, it is, it, it is, um, I just felt to be story-wise that it was kind of a letdown. I felt like we were getting, again, my problem with the layout of this this episode was that I felt like we were getting sort of weird snippets of stories that, maybe would have been more powerful if rather than spreading them out over three different episodes, we had just gotten longer chunks. For example, if in this episode we had gotten all of the stuff with Danny's uh, guys breaking into the city and, and liberating it, and then we had gotten that response, there might have been a little bit more of an emotional connection. I just sort of found like I hadn't seen Danny in a while. She hasn't really done anything. And then we're expected to sort of kind of swoon over how wonderful she is. I just did not feel it at all. I, well, and it, and it felt like her entire job this season was liberate people, join my army, liberate people, yeah, join my army. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll have a new love interest, and you know, uh, and what's and his name? And he'll be in my army, jo- and, and, yeah. and he'll be in my army, and Jorah will still be in my army, and he'll make his puppy dog face. Uh, but like, literally, it just felt like with her, it was the same story beats over and over for the whole season. I have to make a correction. I don't think it was the king who was punished. I think it was the cook, because when he tells the story, he tells the story about the rat cook. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And the the thing with the last scene for me is that, and I was actually watching it going, ooh, this might be racially troubling for some. And I was like, it's too bad they can't do anything. Because like a defining characteristic is the fact that she has white hair, basically. Uh, So, so, you know, they can't undo how white she is, uh, you know, because it's part of who that character well, is. Well, they could have um, put a but, t-shirt on her saying, I'm not a racist. <laughs> but, uh, I, it really felt, I absolutely agree with what you're saying, Kate. It felt very much like that scene was just there so that we could end on dragons. Uh, yeah. And not because of anything about, you know, it, I don't know why they felt that that's where the season should end. On like When you look at book three, if you're going to cut it in half, you don't think, well, I know what our last image should be. That, I mean, that, that, that becomes something it there is there's stuff there's a reason that they end with this and that that it is a does mark um a significant point for Danny's journey so looking back on it after we see what comes next you know we'll see why this is a, a, a significant moment in her story that warrants being the last thing we see of her this season but we haven't seen anything to lead up to that. And so it just felt completely pointless. I, I think it's okay. It's the last thing we see of Danny this season. I don't think it should have been the last thing we see in the episode. Um, I think because Melisandre says the true war lies to the north. It's not about the five kings. I think they should have ended with the White Walkers. Or I don't know. Because I don't know what's coming ahead. But something something that'll hint and or show the true danger of what's coming their way because yeah i i i I agree with rick on that one because we've had a lot of talk about it we've had a couple uh sort of instances of white walkers here and there but we haven't actually seen a a white walker force really since the end of season two which was awesome i just (laughs) want to mention again how effing awesome that was when that happened and ever since then it's been a lot of talk but we haven't really had a sense of scale 
uh, which maybe is deliberate, but may, but I think also it kind of indicates that, yeah, this maybe wasn't the most awe-inspiring image to end on. But, but you know why I think Gendry is a sacred cow? It's because Davos does the right thing and lets him go. He lets him escape. And I think whenever someone actually does the right thing, they make the right decision, it leads to greatness. And I think Gendry is a holy cow, a sacred cow, whatever you want to call him. I don't... <laughs> I think, you know, I mean... Based on, what was it, two episodes ago, episode eight, based on the the spell with the leeches and the fire, we know how powerful his blood is. Which, by the way, now I have to ask a question, uh, Kate. Kate. Which Kate? Okay. <laughs> Just call me Kulzik. That's cool. <laughs> okay. So when she, okay, so when she did her little magic spell, she called out three names, one of which was Rob Stark, who died. She also called out, she also called out the name of Joffrey, and she called out one of the Greyjoys, the dad of Theon, right? Was it the dad or uncle? It, it's, it's his father, the king. Okay. He's named himself king of the Iron Isles. Right, okay. Balon Greyjoy. So she, she named off three of the five kings. Am I to assume that they are all going to die, or was it kind of like a gamble? It's like playing the lottery. Only one of the three will die. Uh, I don't think she can tell you are, that. What do you think? Well, one of the th- but one of the things I like best about this episode... And I, about the season as a whole is the ambiguity of it. I, I like that we don't know which oaths are important. Yes, Simon, I want to know what you guys think. We well, not, we don't. So we don't what, know. what do you think? What do you think, Kadar? Do you think all three will die? Do you think that the spell is oh so powerful, or do you think it was only like Rob Stark? It was like a luck of the draw, or I'm. I really don't know because I think that people who are reading the books are getting a whole lot more information about um, the this Lord of Light and what he's really capable of, and, and even even no. just <laughs> unfortunately, no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wish. But I, I do. I find it. This is the first time I've heard that 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 the book readers don't know any more about the gods. And again, this is what I find interesting: which god is correct? Which you know, which oaths do people get punished for breaking? You know, which uh, you know, like for instance, you know, Rob pays. The ultimate price for breaking an oath for seemingly the best possible reason and but at the same time that breaks another oath which is seemingly even more sacred and we don't know who's going to end up punished for that and we don't know if brand's desire to follow the which actually can i bring up something totally different i feel like seven episodes ago or so we heard that the three-eyed uh crow was or the three-eyed raven was was a representative of like represented bran mm-hmm. and yet bran is now following the raven so he's following himself he's not following the raven he's in search of the raven yeah but and why is he in search of himself? well because jojen is telling him to go in that look he's jojen's telling bran to go in that direction now think about this they are headed towards the wall there's a shitload of white walkers at the wall heading towards them so you got three kids one of which is crippled and a giant who can't do anything but say hodor like those three kids are doomed. Well, he can lift them <laughs> and be awesome. They're <laughs> doomed. They're doomed. I, I, okay, maybe not, but I really like. Um, I I like those characters, and I want to see more of those characters. But I fear that they might all die come next season. It's kind of scary. I don't know. Well, so far the trend is whenever someone tries to do something impossible, they usually do okay. It's generally when people think they're going to do all right that horrible things happen. Hey, I would be okay with Jon Snow dying as long as Bran. And Jojen and Hodor stay alive. I would be okay with John dying if uh, that just was a thing that happened. I would be okay with <laughs> Sansa dying as long as she gets eaten by a dragon. 
Um, to to go back to Jojen and the three-eyed raven and everything uh, quickly, the, all I would say about that, Simon, is that, and, and this is not a spoiler, this is just purely theoretical on my part. So if this is something that's in the books, I haven't gotten there. I'm only halfway through book five. Um, so my, my guess uh, with that is that we know that Jojen sees in his visions or whatever, he sees the, the past, the present, and the future at various points. So Bran is different than Jojen, but I don't think it's necessarily outside the realm of what they've established that for the Three-Eyed Raven to be a future Bran or an older Bran somehow speaking to himself in his visions and guiding him. I don't know if that's what they're going for at all. That's trippy, man. But I think that that is, you know, that's certainly possible, especially when you think back to the, that awesome. I love when we get three eyed Raven visions, by the way, but that really cool vision um, earlier this season with Catelyn on one side of Bran and the tree and then Bran and then the Raven on the other side. So, his mother, his past, himself, and then potentially his future, further out on on the limb and in more in more danger. So, I, man, I, if they if they start throwing in time travel, <laughs> what happened happened. Um, the right, let's see, we've talked about uh, Bran. I, by the way, uh, Ricky, I'm with you there. I I care way more about Bran than I do Jon Snow, though. I've really, he's really grown on me. I think take John Jon Snow with you, grit, grit, and I. I like Jon Snow a lot more. Uh, Jon Snow back, you know, in the realm of where he does know things. Uh, I like even better with <laughs> Ygritte. Um, and I, I think I'm going to like what's coming up next for, for him a, a lot as well. Uh, but I think the, obviously we've talked about Theon, which has been a weakness this season. But I think one of the other uh, big strengths of this season has been the the way that they have really used like characters like Arya to establish like to keep to function as sort of thoroughfares for for the viewer so we follow her um and because we're following her we get to know the brotherhood of the banners so then when Melisandre comes that has meaning we follow her and get to know the hound a bit more and go in and we get to see the the red wedding from another perspective as as she's going i think there's there's a lot of really interesting things coming for her i thought it was really interesting the way that they called back to jack and hagar twice in the last two episodes without saying his name. Um, and so I just, I've enjoyed her a lot this season, though I probably uh, liked I her last say, year with Tywin a little more. Can I just say um, that guy's name again? Yakin Hagar. God, I love that name. <laughs> um, the uh, I, I had something to say. Oh, yes, of course, the wolf. Can we talk about what they did to the, oh, to the wolf come on. and Bran? I, I, I wanted to bring it up only because, because I like, Kate and I discussed this a little bit and she misremembered it as it being Rob's head on the wolf's body, which I think would have been even creepier. No, I think it was, well, maybe creepier, but I think it was sad to see Greywind's head on Rob's body. So sad. Very messed up. I don't know. I, I, it was a good scene, and I feel really bad for Arya. And I don't, I mean, I like Arya, and she's definitely one of the most interesting characters, one of the most developed characters in the series. But uh, I don't know, I... I I'm excited, I guess, to see what happens with Arya in the next season. But at the same time, I don't really want to see Arya turn into a cold-blooded killer. So when she first killed the man, I was like, oh, no, she's going to go in dark, dark places. But, but it's okay because she's going to meet up with her with her fencing teacher again, right? <laughs> yeah, he's totally not dead. Mr. <laughs> died off screen. 
<laughs> I, I, I think that's with Arya is one of my favorite things in uh, this season as well. And I think that it's, I think it's probably a subtle balance they have to sort of walk without making you, like you say, Ricky, like without making you just too upset that horrible things are happening to her and she's kind of turning into this very dark young woman. But at the same time, I mean, it, it makes total sense. I mean, this poor girl has been subjected to so many awful things happening to her. Like, it makes total sense to me that her reaction would be to go to this sort of horrible place where she recites the names of the people she wants to kill every night before she goes to sleep. But it's a little hard to watch. So, yeah, it's definitely a tricky balance with the Arya stuff. See, you see, it makes sense. Arya makes sense. But can you explain Sansa? Because to me, for a teenage girl now, especially that I know she's only 14 years old, I would assume that it's a girl that's been through has has many ther- terrible things that Sansa's been through. She would have like tried to at least run away, commit suicide, or at least try to kill Joffrey because she's just a little too passive for me, and that's why I don't really tend to like her character because I just I see Sansa in each and every single episode doing the exact same thing. I don't see her character evolving, and so that, that's why I'm not interested in her character. Well, see, Ricky, I think your attitude is like. Um perhaps contributes to the way that victims feel worse after the fact for not having tried to to do these things that are beyond their reach. I mean, I think that the show does an interesting job. You're right. Certainly parts of season two, you kind of just want to smack Sansa because she doesn't get much to do besides whine and complain and cry. But I I don't think that it's fair to, to write off a character and say that you hate them because they're not able to, to physically do anything to change their circumstances. I don't think that Sansa is in a position where she is able to escape or she is able to stab somebody. I mean, if her choice would just be to put herself in a position where she'd be killed, for sure, I kind of think it's almost the more difficult choice for her to keep going on with what she's doing and putting up with it in the hopes that maybe one day things might get better rather than just kind of signing herself over to certain death by either trying to kill somebody around her or running off into the woods and being raped and then killed. So I, I don't know. Those are, but I know Kate Kulzik has already tried this argument with you many times. So <laughs> how this will go? <laughs> but, yeah. but no, she I, absolutely 100% agree, Kate. Glad that there's someone else on the pro Sansa bandwagon, or at least the not anti Sansa bandwagon. But I, you know, I think he, she's a very different person than Arya. Arya would be happy to if she if it meant that she had to die, but she got to stab Joffrey in the face. She would do it, and everywhere else, and, and anywhere else. You know, she she was um, she was wanting to run into the red wedding to find her mom to to try to help. I, whether it was to help or just to to find her, be what, come what may, and and you know the, the hound had to knock her out to save her life, basically. Um, but Sansa's a very different person, and I actually agree that I think it's even harder to to do to do not to re- realize your powerlessness in the situation especially when it's an actual powerlessness like i think you know her situation has, has the position her that's the position her situation has put her in and and to instead bear all of this just psychological torment that she's been dealing with on the hopes that someday in the future she will be able to to get her revenge because I do think that Sansa <laughs> wants revenge, but uh, you know, though she's not showing it in the same way uh, as as Arya, so I actually think that there's a real core of strength in her ability to put on a dress, to do her hair, to go to court, and to 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 just to 
feel all that constant humiliation. Joffrey, yay, I'm going to rape you tonight. Woohoo! Have fun! You know, like, I, I can't imagine bearing all of that with the amount of dignity and grace that she does. Um, so I think there's a lot of strength there. I wanted to, to mention, because we already talked about this, but before... You know, we get too too far into everything else. That uh, I I really loved seeing just a moment, a moment of happiness with Tyrion and and Sansa and Shay. Before that, of course, was completely ripped away. Any chance that those two are going to be able to see each other as you know allies in all of this? It was good to have can, a little can, happy. <laughs> can I just mention, like, I, we we're talking about characters and their strength, and you know, doing what's difficult but i'm sorry i wanted to slap shay when varus was like here's a ridiculous pile of money leave have a peaceful awesome life very far away from where you will probably be killed very soon and she's like nah really shay really and not you're just, not long for this world not even just the money Simon, but the fact that this the, that varus clearly says to her you staying here longer will get him hurt and, and, and that's, I mean, it's not even so much the money. If they've set her up as somebody who really genuinely loves Tyrion, you would expect her to be even a moment's pause before she kind of says, no, I want to stay here, and so I'm going to stay here. It doesn't, it seems to clash a little bit with this idea that she really does love him and that she would put him before her. But again, I know that she's been changed from the book, so maybe they're kind of just feeling that out or something. I don't know. When did you come to this strange country? When I was 13. You're only a child. I stopped being a child when I was nine. My mother made sure of that. You've been a good influence on our mutual friend, you know. He used to drink from sundown to sunup, visit three brothels a night, gamble away his father's money. Now it's just the drinking. And now I'm his wife's servant. I brush her hair and clip her nails and empty her chamber pot. She is a sweet young thing. None of this is her fault. I love that girl. I would kill for her. Do you think that makes it easier for me? No. I expect not. She's young and she's beautiful and high-born. We break bread with them, but that doesn't make us family. We've learned the language, but we'll never be their countrymen. If you let yourself believe, that a foreign girl with no name could spend her life with the son of Tywin Lannister. I have a name. You have one name, as do I. Here, only the family name matters. What do you want from me, Lord Ferris? Diamonds. I tell you to beware carrying so much wealth, but you know how to protect yourself. Get on one of those ships. Sail to Pentos, or Lys, or Mir. You can buy a house with these diamonds. A very large house. Hire servants. Start a new life, a good life, far from here. The mysterious foreign beauty. You'll have suitors lining up. Why do you want me to leave? Tyrion Lannister is one of the few people alive who can make this country a better place. He has the mind for it, he has the will, he has the right last name, and you... You are a complication. Ooh, I read it. I read it completely different because I don't think she thinks that she can save or be helpful to Tyrion. I think she wants to stay because she wants to watch over Sansa because she even says that she deeply cares and loves Sansa. But here's my question for you, Kate. Kate. So <laughs> now that 
Kaplan and Rob Stark are dead and Ned's dead and every single Stark is presumably dead, like no or missing in action, what whatnot. Why is Sansa so incredibly important? Because at, at this point in time, doesn't her bloodline not matter anymore? Wouldn't it benefit the Lannisters if they killed Sansa? Because she would technically be probably the last Stark that they know of that's dead. So why would Tyrion even need to marry her? Why don't they just kill her off? Because the Lannisters no longer run Winterfell. Yes, but just as Kat very is always was always a Tully, right? She identifies, you know, you can, when you look at the Starks and you look at Kat, yes, she's a Stark, but really you can see very much that she is a Tully as well. Um, I think that with all the other options dead, the Northerners will embrace uh, a Stark, a daughter or a son of the Stark as the new Warden of the North much more than they would anyone else, especially because they, you know, yes, this is the, the imp's son, but it's also you know, the, ch- ch- the descendant of the Starks and Sansa was, you know, against her will, uh, put in this situation and she, we, we will defend her cause she's the last remaining. And, and, and I think, I think that makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to me. They explicitly doesn't, doesn't Taiwan explicitly say, um, sorry, what's his name? Roose Bolton will be ward of the North only until Tyrion's son grows of age. I mean, I, I think it is the thing the bannermen around that area recognize a stark descendant as the rightful heir to that place. And so killing them killing Sunzo would be fine for them, sure, but it wouldn't it wouldn't assure them uh, a Lannister child on that throne. That's what he wants. A Lannister child that's recognized by the people of that area. Not the throne, sorry, the um I guess what you, I don't know what you'd call it, the seat of the north. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I get what you guys are saying, but by having a son with Sansa, it's still Stark blood, and it's still Tully blood. Don't they just want to eliminate the Starks and Tullys by now? Why? Doesn't help them. Sansa's, you know, not a threat. She's not going to do anything that they can't, you know, help or can't control. And her name carries weight with the people in the North. So, so why not put, make, um, incorporate I, I don't, her into the I, I business? Don't, I don't understand then... the way of thinking when it comes to this kind of politics. Because if I was a person from the north. I, I I think I see where I, I think I see where Rick's kind of coming from. Like if, if I was a northerner and I knew that my leader was going my future leader was going to be the essentially forced offspring of, yes, a Stark. But then on the other hand, you know, the family that I think everyone is going to have a pretty clear idea, even if they blame the phrase, had a very significant hand in brutally killing off, you know, th- our their leader in in a, in a horribly oath-breaking way, I'm not really sure that I would care about Exactly, it, because know? the son would still be half Lannister, so I don't think those people would really respect Sansa nor the son the way they would respect uh, Catelyn and Ned. So I just don't see how it really benefits the Lannisters. Uh, well, I, I don't know, because at this point, who who's running Winterfell? It's the, is, it, is it Bolton's, or is it the Freys? It's well, Boltons, right? Right now, nobody really. Well, I mean, but Boltons, yeah. In the near future, it's going to be the Boltons. So, like, I mean, if the Boltons are the kings of Winterfell, well, then, if they become the kings of Winterfell, which seems to be what they assume they are going to be, then why would the Lannisters need Sansa? But it's very. I mean, and I don't know if this is just because I'm picking things up from the book, but uh, in the books, it is very firmly established and i got the sense on, on the show as well that only a stark 
will ever really hold Winterfell because they're they they've sh- talked about this on the show as well that there's there's a much wider much bigger density of keeps and lords and everything in the south part of of Westeros in the northern part it's basically just Winterfell and it's a, so there are there's a lot of bannermen and uh and plebs basically that all rally around, you know, rally in, in Winterfell. So if the Northerners don't like whoever's in Winterfell, the people in Winterfell are screwed and they will follow the Starks, but they, so they're, they're not going to accept the Boltons because of their, 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 uh, part in the Red Wedding. But if anybody is going to have a chance of being, you know, adopted and supported by the Northerners, it is someone who who can say, "You were my father's men. Follow my son now." Okay, I guess. I mean, but in that case, if the people of the north would not accept any leader that that doesn't actually come from the north, it doesn't technically even have to be a Stark. I mean, it just has to be someone from the north, right? I mean, like what? Like, I mean, the Bannermen killed off Catelyn and Robb Stark un- under their own roof at a wedding. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me, like, why Sansa's... I, get, I mean, I understand why... I understand the point you're trying to make, but I just don't see why the people would actually care, the people of the North. Well, and Ricky, maybe maybe as well it has to do with the timing of it, because, you know, I mean, this plan to marry Tyrion to Sansa that was happening has been in the works for a while, and maybe it was only recently that uh, Tywin sort of came up with this idea of giving the assurances to Walder Frey that allowed him to pull off this horrible... Uh, upset. I, I really don't know. I mean, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe Sansa is slightly is like a little less valuable to them now as a result of this. But I still do think that it does make sense that the Bannermen really only will respect the Stark, and that it benefits the Lannisters to have a child who is actually Lannister but is also actually Stark. I think we'll have to leave this one for now <laughs> and, and, and resume. Yeah, there, there's a tie to be made to the Airy as well, right? Which is Lisa who is uh, the the sister of Catelyn and, you know, the, the one with the creepily old breastfeeding son, right? Who, Where, who we, who I guess we'll see with Lord Baelish next season, which, <laughs> Well, there's, there's more coming there, but where it's a, you know, it's a child, it's a young kid, but, uh, but she's Wait, ruling gonna, are... in her, her husband's, she, you know, so it's ru- ruling in, you know, following the kid because of the bloodline as opposed to who's actually, in control. Wait a second. Are we going to be seeing Aiden Gillen breastfeed next next season? I don't think I can handle that. I cannot confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I wanted to ask a question that only Kate can answer. Kate calls it can answer um, because th- there were some post mortem interviews on the season where, of course, uh, everyone cranes their necks over to Martin and says, "Hey, so two more books, huh?" <laughs> And uh, it, I mean, it just seems incredibly likely to me that, that the show is going to outpace the books, considering his answer to when the next book will be done is when it's done. Uh, so, I mean, how do you feel about all that? Um, I think that uh, he should write the book to make it be good, as opposed to, <laughs> to, to fit a particular timetable. I think that, you know, it would, I think he wants to have the books done before the series, before the TV show. I think he is, feels more pressure to stay ahead of it. And so we are, I think, much more likely to get a book six before the series ends or like for him to stay ahead of the series with book six. But I kind of doubt he will with, with book seven. Um, Well, and he's he's even, 
and he's even said that it may not be seven books. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see what happens with it. The only analog I can really think of for this is um, the Harry Potter books. And when you look at, and I love the Harry Potter series, so don't get angry at me, Potterheads. Um, but the the book, the fourth book, which I very much enjoy, really needs editing. It is too long, and there. It, it needs trimming and uh and even uh Joe Rowling has said that, you know, that she if she had her brother, she would go back and cut and really tidy that book up a little bit because she was really feeling the pressure to to get it out so people could read it. Because after book three is really when in the United States, when the book series took off and got became a worldwide phenomenon as opposed to just something in the UK. And uh and so, you know, she felt too much pressure from the editors and the fans. So she put it out before she probably should have. Um, and, and now she regrets it. And so, it, yes, it's a really fun book. I really enjoy the book. It's, you know, obviously she she took, she learned from that and it affected the way she wrote the other books. But I wouldn't want something similar to happen, especially with the final books in this huge series with, with Martin, where he feels like he has to get it out. So he puts out a... Um, subpar product or what he considers to be uh, an inferior product. Um, so I really am not troubled by seeing the resolution on television before I read the books. I'm going to do both either way. The problem is we, we discussed this, I think, two weeks ago in episode eight. I don't know what they're going to do in two or three years when Arya now looks like 17 because she is 17 and she no longer looks like a 12-year-old girl. You know what I mean? Yeah. The cast is going to age. They can't wait. They can't do a prequel season like Martin said in that one interview. That's a terrible idea that I really don't think that they can do. And I think they know they can't do that. Yeah, but I think they need to speed up the filming process. I think they should be, and I don't know, maybe they are planning on, do, on doing this, but I think they need to be filming like season four and season five, like back to back and just speeding up the filming process. Because in the next two years, like even Sansa, like I was blown away when I found out she was only 17 years old. Or Well, in the show, she's 14. In real life, she's 17. I thought she was 22, 23, maybe. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, you think of Bran and he, he's like, he's, he's look at him compared to season one. Like he looks so much older. So I'm a little worried about the future of the show, not necessarily the future of the books, because I mean, he could do whatever he wants. And if he, it's, you're right. If he takes a sweet ass time to make it better then so be it. But plus we don't read. Yeah. But, but <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they only film the first five books and maybe they never actually get the film book six and seven because you know it'll just be too late at that point in time well they know the ending of the story and they'll work with him as need be you know to 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 figure out exactly you know what's what needs to happen and they'll they'll be some back and forth there i'm, I'm sure but i wouldn't be surprised because we see bran heading north of the wall you know continuing to be very isolated at the end of this this book if that or this sorry this season um if that holds to be true for for his story moving forward something that maybe they play with is do we we know what's supposed to happen with bran do we write and film all of his scenes now before he goes through puberty and is a foot taller and is his voice change you know i think there might be some stuff that they can play with on that score with uh with bran i don't know if that's the case with Arya, and it certainly doesn't seem to be the case with sansa while she's at court like this um but maybe if they can do something like that that could help you know what i think they should do is they should just at the start of next season they should say wow winter was here it was a year long nobody could go anywhere <laughs> 
And, and then uh, we now had the shortest summer ever, and now winter is coming again. Yes. <laughs> now, now, Simon, I like those snarky remarks. No, no, no. I think it's a good idea. It's it's that, or they're going to have to do a bunch of like behind the candelabra style, like like expensive CGI. A de- Can you imagine them having to de-age the kids and how creepy it would or be? Or the whole entire cast. I mean, there's a difference between de-aging two, two actors as opposed to de-aging like... 50 actors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, the... Uh, there's a few final thoughts I had on this episode. We've been going for an hour now, so we probably should start to think about wrapping up. One of the, the things I wanted to ask you guys about um, that I, I did think that might be a, a weakness with this episode, I'm not quite sure what all I would cut to make it happen, but one of the real strengths of this season, uh, two of the big strengths, I would say, were not featured in this episode at all. And um, that's... Brienne and and Jamie, we get one scene with Jamie. Really, we get Brienne walking for like, I don't know, ten Second. feet. Yeah, um, and then also the Tyrells, and we don't get any Marjorie. We don't get Lady any Lady Olana. Is that something that should have been in this episode in in its role as a season finale, so that we you know have a, a bigger, better sense of what this season has brought us and been about? Or did they not belong here because, honestly, they don't seem to have any story right now until the wedding? No, 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 not at all. The problem is this should not have been the last episode of season three. That's it. This should have been the first episode of season four. Because they, I mean, what would you do with Marjorie and, you know, later around? Like, what would you do? She's just going to maybe give someone a speech and shame them? Like... (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't think we need because, to see them, and I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm totally coming around to Rick's idea that this should have been the season four premiere. Yeah, it really should, because I mean, like I said, they're reshuffling the deck, which is fine. But the, anyways, there was just no need for this episode to be in season three. I, it's, it's weird because we're supposed to like review this specific episode, but I don't have much to say about this episode. You know, which I, 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 I will say this though: they made an awfully big deal about introducing Mance Raider, didn't they? Yeah, what happened to Mance Raider? <laughs> I think he was. That's all. I think he was in to the be continued in was... season three point five. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> well, what are our final thoughts on the episode and in the season as a whole? Then, what were your highlights of the season? What were your lowlights besides Theon? I think we've discussed Theon enough. The the last thing I'll mention that in retrospect I think was one of the funniest moments and like most apropos moments of the entire season was the fact that Joffrey Baratheon is the only person in Westeros who thinks. Danny is dangerous, and I think that's hilarious. Yeah, it's true. That's great. It's been great to see the way that they've handled Joffrey's transition from petulant, uh, entitled boy king or prince into, oh no, he's the Mad King part two. I think they've yes. done that really subtly with that. I was, yeah, listening to people talk about that, that had never really occurred to me reading the books. I, it should have, but they've really made it even more pointed, his you know fascination with the dragons and everything, um, in the series as opposed to the books. So so the fact that they haven't actively called that out, I really appreciate that restraint. And I think Jack Gleason is just doing such a wonderful job in his portrayal as I, Joffrey. I, I need to mention one thing really, really quickly again. Somebody said it, and I think it's totally true. The guy, uh, uh, Jack Gleason must be so happy now that now... It's the guy who plays Bruce Bolton who's going to get trouble on the street and not him. Oh, yeah. For being just such a huge bastard. Well, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be the man who plays Lord Frey? Uh yeah, I don't it doesn't look like he gets out much though, does it? <laughs> Filch? 
Um, Kate, Kate Rennenbaum, what's, what is your favorite moment of season three? Um, highs, lows? Oh man. I don't know if I can do favorite moment. Um, I don't know. My, the funny thing is, is I think this will be an entirely unpopular response. My lows were possibly some of the stuff with Rob Stark prior to the red wedding. Um, I, I was really worried that I'd figured out what the uh, the big twist was going to be because I'd read an article years ago that had like the initials, and I think they actually had the initials RS in it and not just RW. And I was smart enough at the time to figure out the only characters named Rob Stark. And so every time you would get these scenes where Rob is sort of like in kind of blissful joy with um, what was her name, Talisa? Talisa. Yeah, with her, I, I was like, oh my god, he's gonna get killed in some totally horrible way. And and I wasn't I wasn't particularly invested in that storyline as a result. I kind of was just waiting for it to be over in a certain extent. So I think that was maybe just my own problem. I don't think it was a low in terms of quality or, or direction or anything. Um, I know on the whole, I think that the season was fantastic. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm trying to think of lows and I have to admit, I can't think of very many. So I think that means I really liked it. So, so is, uh, is it there a character that you just dislike that would, you would maybe want to eliminate from the show? Oh God. Um, eliminate. I, I, when, I, when I say dislike, yeah. I mean like you just don't like the character and or the actor, not, you know, not, not like someone like Joffrey who's, you know, the actor is fantastic and in, in the, in, in his performance is great every single week, but you know. Well, yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think that this is a fault of the actor, but I kind of could never see Stannis Baratheon again and be totally happy with that. Like, I, I, I find that he's sort of just a weird kind of placeholder for the power that's really mm. happening between Melisandre and then I guess this guy Davos. They've kind of balanced it between they're the real fighting forces, and Stannis is this weird grumpy guy who just sort of wanders around and grunts at things and is angry. <laughs> I, I just doesn't like. It, that particular part has not grabbed me at all. It, it's it's true. He's not it, he's not terribly inspiring, is he? At least not lately. No. Well, he doesn't feel like much of a character. He's the middle son, right, <laughs> between Robert and Renly, and so he's the 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 less defined one. I don't know what his role in that family was, but you feel like he's all we know about him is that he is a, a hard man who until very recently always followed his oaths and his laws and was unforgiving. Um, we saw him break some of that with, with Melisandre, but uh, anyways, but I feel like we don't really have a sense of him as a person and the show wasn't really interested because our point of view character in that storyline is Davos, not Stannis. So I, yeah, I agree. And in the books too, I just don't really care about Stannis. Luckily I do like Davos. So I, you know, that's my in, but, um, but Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what about you guys. Who's your person that you could leave and never see again? They've already said Stannis and John. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. No, no, no way. I would never. I'm not saying, sorry, no, sorry. Sansa, sorry. Sansa. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. John, although I I will be interested to find out if his Night's Watchman fellows uh, kill him off after finding out that he now has cunnilingual prowess and they can't do. I still it. think you're wrong about John Simon because the thing is, like, even if you're not big on the actor and or the character. John has introduced a lot of side characters that we love, like Ygritte and Sam. And I, his journey has been interesting. And the episode Climb, which revolved all around Jon Snow, like that was the best episode, I think, of the series so far. So I would not eliminate Jon Snow. Never. Not, not right now. There's just too much going on around that character. Yeah, Jon Snow I still can't... just think he sucks, though. Jon Snow can't go away until the show confirms what 
all the book readers and many of the TV show readers know about his parentage. So until, you know, while we know that there are like two characters out there who know his parentage and they're not haven't been killed off yet, John's safe. That's what I'm <laughs> talking right about. The holy cows, the sacred cows, the bastards, <laughs> Jon Snow, Gendry. <laughs> Tyrion and Danny, all bastards and bastards. What do we call a female bastard? She's not a bastard. Not a bastard. She has both a parent of the royal parents. Well, there you go. She'll, she's not a holy cow. Well, she she is <laughs> she is a cast off though. She's a castaway. She's a cast well, I, I will agree with you on outcasts. I will not agree with you on uh, on bastards. Fair you enough. word it the way you want to word it. Okay, I'll call them bastards. You call them outcasts. <laughs> All right. Okay, uh, Ricky. I think we just haven't heard from you. What are your highlights of the season and, and lowlights of the season besides besides the end? Yeah, this is easy. Best episode was the climb by far. I think it's the best episode of the entire run of the show. I think it was the most focused. I love the cinematography, the music, the acting, and the action sequences. And I love the music musical chair sequence. I think that was my favorite sequence, my favorite scene of the whole entire season. I just thought it was really funny. You know, the whole Lannister musical chair sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was fantastic. Um, you know, Peter Dinklage, Charles Dance, every single scene with those two actors has been fantastic. Uh, I would probably put Diana Rigg in third place, although we didn't see much of her. I want to see more of her. Favorite new character would have to be Marjorie by far. I want to see more of Marjorie. Um, I know a lot of people like Ygritte, but wasn't she in season two? Well, so was uh, Marjorie. Was. So was yeah. Marjorie. True. Okay, so pick, pick. And uh, we, I, I need to throw out some quick credit to Nikolai Kosterwaldo, who had yeah. his most awesome season yet, and I love that dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I absolutely love the show. I love the composer. I'm assuming it's the same composer every single week. The music was especially fantastic last week with the Red Wedding episode. And, I mean, I think, you know, one comes to the end of the year and I have to nominate my 10 favorite shows for our staff picks i think game of thrones would be on my top five although it is a big year you know i will say one thing okay uh if i think of shows like breaking bad or even the americans and i go so far as to say i like those shows better than game of thrones you know why it's because they come big each and every single episode like you don't get to episode 10 of breaking bad and or the americans and it's sort of like just a placeholder and or setting up the next season it's big and so i think that's why i like those shows better because even when game of thrones as fantastic as it is there's always at least one or two episodes in each season except for maybe season one that i just was a little disappointed with but i do think overall this is the best season yeah the 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 shows that bring it every week they don't get to the extreme of the Red Wedding because they don't have the time to 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 build so slowly to something that 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 is such a shock and such a huge moment. I, I don't think they get as big of a big, but they also have ten weeks or thirteen weeks. I, th- I think of Breaking awesome. Bad's gotten pretty close to that. Yeah, eh, I guess. Yeah, I, the, I'm the sorry. I, I'm sorry. I, I think Breaking Bad is a far better show than Game of Thrones by far. Oh. oh. No, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying, if you're talking about uh, the effectiveness of the the action-packed or the really significant scenes, I mean, people have been talking about the Red Wedding for weeks, and they will continue probably to talk about it in the memorable moments all year for television. And while when the shows that, that do big things every single week, often they're not as meaningful as 
the one big thing that Game of Thrones does. But you see, the thing is, the Red Wedding, it's all about characters dying. Like that's the, that, that is the punch. It's like, oh my God, so-and-so died. But when you, when you think about Breaking Bad and you think about the I Am Danger speech by mm-hmm. Walt, I mean, that is just a speech. That is a man and his wife sitting in the bedroom and he has a conversation with her and he delivers this incredible monologue. That's one of the biggest highlights of television in the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I mean about bringing it big each and every single week not in terms of like huge action set pieces or someone dying i'm just talking about just i don't know something that people will will remember and talk about for for years and years and years to come with game of thrones this season i mean that's everyone's going to talk about the red wedding i mean you know like big huge fans of the show like especially book readers like yourself will remember you know maybe like brienne fighting the bear and whatnot but the red wedding was the the only like what I call what the fuck no you didn't moment of season three. I think season one had a lot more what the fuck no you didn't moments. Ah. <laughs> it's been I'd have to I'd have to rewatch. I don't know, but um, it's I, yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned the bear because I was gonna say we've gotten to the end of the podcast and no one has mentioned the fact that the season brand fought a motherfucking bear. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> and on that note, uh, any uh, thank you guys so much uh, for for joining us this week. Where can our listeners find you guys online, Kate and, and Simon? Uh, well, you can find me with you on the Televerse. <laughs> That's awkward. And I'm also on Twitter at Sucker Howell. I also co-host Sound on Sight and Sorted Cinema, and I do other stuff also. Uh, you can find me at uh, on Twitter at Cinema Buffy. Uh, that is my handle. And sometimes, of course, it is exactly because that's a great handle. And come on, so sometimes I'm uh, I do stuff with Sound on Site as well. Record podcasts every now and then as well. And uh, Ricky, for those don't, who don't know, how do they get in touch with you during this off season? Twitter it's Sound on Site, but I usually just promote the articles written on the website by writers because I hate Twitter. Um, I do host a podcast with Simon called Sorted Cinema and Sound Inside in which we review movies. Sorted Cinema is mostly like genre film, underground cult movies, and so- Sound Inside is mostly like mainstream films and or art house flicks. Kate Rennebaum, usually tr- we try to get her to co-host with, with us, what, once every three months now, Kate? Yeah, basically. Uh, so it's always fun. And uh, I do believe we will be doing a podcast in the summertime about a TV show called The Bridge, which I'm very excited about. So maybe our listeners should tune into The Bridge and come check out our podcast. Come, I think it starts mid-July. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to make a, an appearance on the Televerse to talk some Breaking Bad in September. So yeah, soundinsight.org, lots of podcasts, great articles going up every single day. And um, yeah, do support us. Give us a rating on iTunes. Definitely. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at the Televerse and listen to Simon and I discuss way too much television every week uh, on our podcast, The Televerse. And of course, Sound on Sight to find more of my writing about television. And if if you like the 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 weekly really dissecting one episode um, thing, I would highly recommend subscribing to the, the Sound on Sight uh, TV podcast feed and iTunes. There are several different Sound on Sight podcasts, but if, if this is the specific thing, because that has, you know, that has Walking Dead, it has Bates Motel from this past season, it has Game of Thrones, and The Bridge will go out on that feed as well. Yeah, The Bridge, and we'll probably do a special on Hannibal, God knows what else. Lots of good yeah, shows yeah. coming up in the future. Thank you guys so much for for joining us this week, Kate and Simon. Thank you for spending this season with me. Uh, Ricky, it's been a lot of fun. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back next season to talk more Game of Thrones. You don't deny it. 
No. I let him go. Your mercy saved the boy's life. You feel good about that? Aye, I do. You saved one innocent. How many tens of thousands have you doomed? There has got to be another way. What other way? Tell us about this other way! I don't know, Your Grace. I can't see the future in the fire. Very well, Sir Devas Seaworth. I, Stannis, of the House Baratheon, first in my name, rightful King of the Andals, and the first men sentence you to die. I understand. But since you haven't yet unnamed me Hand of the King, it is my duty to advise you against it. You're gonna need me. Take him away. Well, I'm gonna need you. My king. It's from Meister Eamon of the Night's Watch. Their Lord Commander is dead. Took a ranging party north and never made it back. One lad did, though. What he saw beyond the wall, it's coming for all of us. before he died so I could be of better service to you. This war of five kings means nothing. The true war lies to the north, my king. Death marches on the wall. I'm home in the middle of a war. I love the cave 
Edward was I married the troll? Oh, see, that's what I'm talking about. We're having a ball. I'm going to breastfeed Robin till my breasts fall off. Brian, how's it going with the Kinsley? Rafe is happy and I'm fighting a bad. Cool, how's it hanging, Theon? Really bad. I met a lady who had demons in her bed. We are the North Side. Hello. We've got a bit of a problem at the wall. It's... it's a bit nippy, and... This fucking white walker! Shit's crazy, I'm freezing his ass with thieves and rapists. I just swear I'm sex. If I can take it back, and take it black. Shove it up, crash his ass, but it's too late for that. Let's now be searching out. I'm out. I'm gonna die virgin now. It's a world day. There's a wild worm. It took me into a cave. Got a dress. So breast? Yeah, we had cave sex. Cave sex? You knew where the fuck is. Who is that? It's the Targaryen girl. Found the alarm. She's come to take back the Seven Kingdoms. Well, it's more like Six Kingdoms now. Hide me with the children. You know, since we succeeded. I'm coping. You should take the other six. Shut up, John. What up? Weird little shit. I got dragons, bitch. I started out with nothing but a shitty older brother in a pentose penthouse. I got pimped out to a Dothraki warlord with a horde full of slaves taking thugs. Fucking like dogs in public. Queen of the savages got three dragon eggs, ate a horse heart, took it down, didn't throw up. Got knocked up, but I mistakenly traded in the fate of the baby and put my hubby in a coma. Brother his ass, built a funeral pie, took the blood magic which burned the bitch alive. Climbed inside and fried eggs a while. From the ash came a naked ass and three reptiles. Touching my kids, better ask me. I'm the mother of dragons, yeah, free. Yeah, that's free. You better come at me with more than a manticore if you want to blast me. You got a dirty mouth, so you best sit down before I go to town with some delirium. You about to feel me when I turn and burn this motherfucker to the ground. I'm strong born, coming out the flames. Kill the masters, free the slaves. From Costa Bravos and Slavers Bay, every bitch cracking whip's gonna know my name. Send the raven to Westeros, cause I'm putting three dragons in a big ass boat. You better tell the usurpers that I'm coming home to take back the realm and the iron throne. You know this means divorce, right? Yeah. We are the North Side. Do it.